Hey everyone, thanks for joining me for this next session of our study in the book of Mark. I don't know if you are sensing this as we work through uh, these passages on a, on a, on a weekly basis, uh, but things are really starting to heat up. Jesus came in and, and there was this sense of miraculousness, this sense of amazement, but as things are progressing, it seems that this whole idea of Jesus as, I guess, quite a divisive figure or, or maybe you put it this way, God, Jesus is demanding that we make a decision. We make a commitment uh, in how we respond to him. And things are really heating up because of this demand for us to respond in some way to him. And, um, and today's session is no different. There are some really important things for us to pick up on in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 29. And so I'm going to start reading uh, verses 2 to 13 first. It says this, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes began dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so afraid. Then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly they looked around and they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave orders, uh, gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wish, just as it was written about him. This passage is known as the transfiguration. Jesus is transformed on the mountaintop, and what a spectacular sight it must have been. And it was interesting that it was reserved for just three witnesses, Peter, James, and John, and um, being the three closest disciples to Jesus. This was a very private revelation for them. And remember that this is probably Peter's account that was written down, recorded by Mark. And so it's really kind of uh, cool that, that Peter knew that the two men that appeared with Jesus was Elijah and Moses. And that is an important detail. You see, Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. We often hear this term, the law and the prophets. Israel's scriptures, up to that point in time, they did not have this New Testament. And so Israel's scriptures was what was recorded till then, Genesis all the way to Malachi. And um, they are the law and the prophets. And this is the whole of Israel's history being represented in two men. And here they are 
are speaking to Jesus. The law and the prophets look to Jesus for their culmination. They climax in the person of Jesus. They look forward to Jesus and here Jesus was. Now, they were on a high mountain and it was on a high mountain that Moses received the Ten Commandments. And it was on a high mountain that Elijah met with God and spoke with God. And, and so this whole mountaintop experience was, was a very significant one. It was a meeting with God. It was a meeting with Jesus, the Son of God. And this is, some, this is a personal revelation for Peter, James, and John to see Jesus once again, his deity, that, that he is the Son of God. We, we, we see that this cloud comes down, and very much so, like in the Old Testament, the cloud represents God's presence. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, there was this cloud that covered the mountain. Uh, it was a cloud, a pillar of cloud that actually took the Israelites and guided the Israelites through the wilderness. The cloud was there, God was there. And so Peter pipes up, as he often does, this time he, he, he's so um, in awe of what he was seeing. He didn't get frightened, uh, really, because this was a, a phenomenal experience for him. And so he just simply says, uh, this is a good place for us to be. Let me build three shelters, one for you, Jesus, one for you, Moses, one for you, Elijah. Now, there are a couple of aspects to this whole um, shelter th uh, business that Peter spoke about. One is that Peter simply wanted to stay in the moment. This was a good place to be. Uh, we are meeting with God. What a powerful, personal encounter with God. Let's stay here. Let's build, uh, let's build these shelters. Uh, and, and, and in a Jewish mindset, building these shelters was a sign of hospitality. And so he wanted to be hospitable to these three dignified guests by building them a shelter for them to stay and so that he would be able to stay with them as well. However, God's intention for them to have this encounter, this personal uh, uh, viewpoint of Jesus's deity was not for them to stay in that place. They would need to travel down the mountaintop at some stage. The shelter was not required because they were not going to be staying on the mountaintop. However, there is another aspect to the shelters uh, that we need to look at as well. You see, uh, shelters are very important and significant in Israel's history. It is, uh, the, the word translated is sukkah. And when the Israelites were led out of Egypt, they lived in this shelters or sukkah as long as they traveled through the wilderness to the promised land. And, and being such an important part of the history that they were these pilgrims, these nomads moving towards a place of God's promise, a place of rest that God was bringing them to, God instituted the festival of Sukkot, the festival of shelters, where, um, where Israelites would live in these Sukkot for seven days every year, remembering the Exodus. And so by, by bringing up that he wanted to build these shelters, it was this sense, uh, there was this bringing up, this imagery of the Exodus, this imagery of traveling, pilgrimaging uh, from a place of slavery to the place of the promise. 
And when the prophets were looking forward to the Messiah, they were looking forward to one who would usher in a second exodus, leading them once again through the wilderness as seen in Isaiah 40 verse 3 and in Hosea chapter 2 verses 17 to 23. Peter bringing up this sukkah could be a way of bringing to mind that the Messiah was truly here, that this second exodus was happening, that, that, that God was once again bringing them into the uh, fulfillment of his promises. This was a, an exciting time. Peter was basically, possibly, or, or at the very least being used in this moment a, a, as he kind of witnessed Jesus' deity, that, that what we have here is temporary. This, this, this world that we live in, that's all temporary. God is bringing us to a more permanent promise that he's ushering in, leading us into through the person of Jesus. They had so much to look forward to in seeing this transfiguration moment. Jesus' deity, the promises of God, that they were going to be led into as new promises of God is, is, is a very significant picture. However, at the same time, the disciples are still confused. After God speaks about Jesus, this is my son, listen to him. Uh, Elijah and Moses disappears and it leaves Jesus with these three disciples. And, 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 and again, that's a very significant picture. Because the law and the prophets, they had guided the Israelites to that point. And they are still important for us because we can learn so much from Israel's history. But it is Jesus alone who saves not the law, not the prophets, not by obeying the Mosaic law, not by fulfilling a whole bunch of religious standards. Jesus is who the law and the prophets were looking forward to and Jesus is left in this picture. And Jesus begins to speak to them and begins to teach them uh, uh, once again about what is going to take place. And... Um, and he, and he tells them not to talk to anyone about this transfiguration, this witnessing, the three witnesses, very important Jewish custom, three witnesses to Jesus' deity. He says, don't tell anyone about this until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, the disciples did not get this whole idea of rising from the dead because the Messiah is not going to die, right? Jesus had already plainly spoken to them in our last message about how uh, uh, Jesus is going to die and suffer for the sins of humanity. He plainly taught them about what was going to take place. But the disciples, Peter, James and John, the core disciples, the three closest to Jesus, still could not grasp that Jesus needed to die. They could not get past the fact that their rabbi, that they have just seen transfigured, they had seen his deity. You're not going to die. We don't get this. They started to discuss this. They started to, uh, uh, to talk about this. And they end up asking Jesus about Elijah. I don't know how they segued uh, from, from, from not understanding about Jesus' impending death um, and resurrection and started to talk about Elijah. 
but perhaps in their mind they were just trying to wrestle with all that was taking place and they asked Jesus about Elijah why do the teachers of law say that Elijah must come well it's because in Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 to 6 and we have mentioned this in the previous message but this is what Malachi the prophet prophesied he said see I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Maybe for the disciples, they knew this passage and they went, but, but, but Jesus, you're the Messiah. So, so who's Elijah? Where's Elijah? And Elijah, as, Jose, uh, sorry, as Malachi prophesied, was supposed to bring this restoration. And perhaps they were kind of wondering, where is this restoration? Where is this turning around? And this is serious because maybe the disciples realized that if Elijah had already come and this whole restoration that Elijah was supposed to bring had not taken place, the prophecy said that there was going to be total destruction of the land. A very scary uh, a prophecy. Judgment befalling the land if Elijah was not listened to. And this is what Jesus said, hey, Elijah has come. He was referring to John the Baptist, and we have spoken about this before as well. But John the Baptist came, he preached repentance. Many people listened, but many people didn't. And it led to him being beheaded. Uh, he lost his life. The land did not really come around his restoration, this restorative message of repentance that John was bringing. So there should be destruction coming then. But this is how... Jesus spoke about it. He said, that's, well, you know, the Son of Man must suffer. That's why the Son of Man must suffer. This destruction that was prophesied, this judgment that was prophesied because people were not listening to the new Elijah, to John the Baptist, Jesus was going to take on in our place. The story of redemption is one of Jesus taking our place, even though we are sinners, even though we are unrepentant, even though we don't, uh, um, we're not faithful to God, and, and we deserve every little bit of judgment that comes our way. Jesus is still taking it upon His shoulders. What an amazing, amazing thing that God is willing to take on the suffering that we deserve upon Himself. Let's read on in Mark chapter 9, 14 to 29. When they came to the other disciples, remember, they were walking down a mountain, and Jesus teaching them about this whole idea of uh, the Son of Man rising from the dead and, and asking about Elijah. They were coming down a mountain, and when they had come to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. This is actually quite uh, an interesting little detail because remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face was shining because he had been with God and, and, and the people saw this and, and, and were filled with wonder so much so that Moses had to cover his face so that the Israelites were able to come to him. But here when people saw Jesus, they actually ran towards him because Jesus is the culmination of the law and the prophets and, and was bringing people back into relationship with God 
And, and, and so there's a very interesting detail there. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at his teeth, gnashes his teeth, sorry, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. He has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked it in pure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. It's interesting that Jesus and the disciples, they come down from the mountain and what they see is this chaotic scene. Very much like when Moses came down from Sinai, the Israelites were worshipping the golden calf. These two stories are once again aligning in this uh, uh, mirror kind of a way. And when we see that there's this boy who, who is uh, possessed, who is tormented by this uh, evil spirit, uh, we don't have a lot of time to go into that, but evil spirits don't, uh, don't take a person by force. They come into a person because the person has allowed them access into them. Remember when we spoke about Legion a few, uh, a few sessions ago, uh, it, it was in a Gentile region and, 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 and it was an area that possibly was with Jewish people that were pig farmers breeding pigs for idol sacrifice. That's most likely what was taking place there. Because of uh, the idol worship this man had enabled, has allowed demons to, to come into him and he was being tormented by them. There is a possible uh, scenario that this young boy was being tormented by evil spirits because his parents were idol worshippers. Uh, and, and we can pop, uh, we can see that in the whole scene of, of Jesus coming down from the mountain and, and this chaos, instead of a golden calf, is this boy living out uh, the, um, the after effects of idol worship. And this uh, uh, idol worship would only lead him to become like the idols, deaf and mute. Uh, and, and it would bring death to the boy. And so there's this confrontation that Jesus has with them. Uh, and now this is also really interesting because uh, the disciples weren't able to drive this uh, demonic spirit out. And in previous chapters, in, in chapter 6, Jesus had sent out the 12 and they were very successful at driving out demons and healing the sick. And um, so why were they unable to do it this time round? Now, there's a sense that there's been progress since chapter 6, where Jesus had been taking them into a deeper revelation of who he is, and he was still somewhat waiting for the response. There's one particular scholar was saying in, uh, that where 
And Jesus had said, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross. The disciples were still possibly wrestling with that. They had possibly, uh, um, it was, uh, the initial stages of, of Jesus as the healer, as this amazing rabbi, they were taking that on, they were responding, they were following, but a deeper revelation of Jesus' deity, but also Jesus' suffering and death, they were really struggling with it. Remember Peter, James, and John, the three closest disciples to Jesus, were struggling with this thought that the Messiah needed to suffer and die. How much more the rest of the disciples as well, they were not able to fully grasp it. They were not fully able to respond to that the way that they, uh, they, they, they needed to really. This whole idea of Jesus demanding a response with the revelation. And so because of that, they had lost uh, uh, the, the authority perhaps or, or they didn't have uh, the greater level of authority needed because remember Jesus said this kind, this kind of, of, of demon really, it, it seems to indicate that, that with demonic influence, there are levels of severity and this was possibly one of a greater severity, needing the disciples to have this greater authority and they did not have that. And, and we can also see this in the rebuke that Jesus issues to what seems to be everyone there. He says that you unbelieving generation. How long shall I put up with you? This sentiment of putting up with you again mirrors how God endured the faithlessness of the Israelites going through the Exodus. So Jesus is trying to bring them as, as part of the second Exodus, this second pilgrimage into the promised land. But they were struggling to, to really follow Jesus. The fullness of his teaching was difficult for them to respond to and and the father demonstrates this faithlessness. Remember, he's the one that brought his son to Jesus in the first place. But then now, instead of saying, Jesus, please heal my son, he says, if you can. And Jesus rebukes him, takes that one remark and says, if I can, anything is possible for those who believe. You see, our belief in Jesus demands that we respond to the fullness of his revelation, not just the bits and the pieces that we like. It's not about how we see things in our earthly viewpoint, but it's actually taking on the viewpoint of what Jesus is revealing to us. But the father, this father demonstrates something really awesome in that he repents immediately. And from there, um, Jesus proceeds to drive the demon out, bringing life back to the boy. Again, this is the picture of Jesus as the life bringer. When we think about whether we respond to Jesus or not, and all the difficult claims that he, uh, he puts forward, uh, or, or the difficult teaching about denying ourselves and taking up our cross, there's no life apart from Jesus. It shouldn't be a hard decision for us to make, even though I'll admit that even for me, uh, not even even for me, for me, it is difficult uh, to take up my cross, to deny myself and to follow Jesus completely and fully. Um, but he is the life bringer. There's no life apart from Jesus. Well, anyway, from there, the disciples then in private begin to ask Jesus, why couldn't we drive this demon out? And Jesus' response is interesting because he says this kind can only come out through prayer. But at that point in time, prayer had not been mentioned 
at all. Jesus didn't pray. We didn't see him praying. We haven't seen Jesus pray for a little while. So what does Jesus mean by this kind can only come up from prayer? And that's where um, one particular scholar puts forward this whole idea um, that the disciples were struggling with this, uh, this, this teaching of denying themselves, taking up their cross and following Jesus fully. They weren't able to follow Jesus fully because they did not want to accept that the Messiah needed to suffer and die. And, and, and so they, they, there was this rift, if you will, between Jesus and the disciples, between the source of authority and, um, and, and, and the disciples. Perhaps they had also seen successes to date. They had seen that they were able to drive out demons and to heal the sick. And, and so uh, they possibly thought, why, why do we need to suffer? Why do we need to uh, go through any of this? Why do we, when we obviously have the authority to do this? And that's part of the difficulty with Jesus' teaching. Quite often when we experience God, there are, there are levels of blessings that we already receive. We have this assurance of salvation. We have this peace that passes all understanding. We experience the joy. And in our Western context, we don't really have many needs, physically speaking at the very least. And so when we accept Jesus, our Lord and Savior in the afterlife has been dealt with, we don't need to worry about God anymore, do we? Because we can just go ahead with our lives. And I think that this picture of the disciples' failure demonstrates that the revelation of Jesus grows and our surrender to Jesus also need to grow. When Jesus talks about prayer, he's talking about communion with God, speaking with God. It is about our attachment, our relationship with God. Are we still close to God or are we far apart? The disciples were unable to live out the power and authority that they were meant to have because there seemed to be this rift between them and God. Maybe there was this sense of self-sufficiency, as I've already mentioned. Maybe they just got lazy. Maybe they got proud. Whatever it is, Jesus was saying, pray, guys. If you want to see the fullness of the life that I have for you, pray. And that is something that I'm hoping that we all catch at lift. That no matter what successes we have found, no matter what life we have managed to build for ourselves, no matter what assurances of the afterlife we have in God, if we want to see the fullness of life, we need to get back to prayer. We need to humble ourselves. We need to come to God and we need to say, I want to learn all all that you have for me. I want to be able to catch this revelation. And if I don't get it, I want you to teach it to me. I want to fully get it. The disciples, they have full access to Jesus. They have full access to being able to hear uh, the, the plain revelation of God. But yet they did not want to accept the truth that God was bringing. How are you going and accepting the full truth of Jesus' life? Not just the miraculous uh, healings and, and provision, but also taking up your cross and dying. 
Discipleship is not just about receiving the good stuff, but it's about receiving the whole of Jesus and the life that He brings. And He promises us that on this earth there will be trials. We need to get on our knees. We need to be getting to that place of prayer. We need to be getting to that place where we are speaking to God, allowing His truth to become our truth. And that's when life truly flows. That's when the power and authority that Jesus has for us is fully available to us. Can I just pray for you as we close in this session? Dear God, I pray that you speak to us. Wherever we are at, wherever we are listening to this message, I pray that your spirit is stirring and moving in our hearts. I pray for a full surrender that we, each and every one of us, has towards you. I pray that we will put aside our pride, we will put aside our achievements, our crowns, if you will, uh, everything that we have, and we deny ourselves. We take up our cross. Help us to take up our cross. Help our unbelief, Jesus, that we can see your life truly flow through us. I pray that through that, that we really tap into the fullness of the power and the authority that you have proportioned, that you're portioned to each and every one of us. I thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, make sure you get into your lift group this week as we discuss another passage from Mark. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.